Hello and welcome to Better Together podcast series brought to you by Microsoft and One Identity. I'm Charles Commons and in this episode we're exploring zero trust best practices for Active Directory and Azure Active Directory. You'll learn some best practices for managing identity security within a zero trust model and how implementing them can significantly strengthen Active Directory security. Joining me on this episode is One Identity's Active Directory Management and Security Team Lead, Dan Conrad. So Dan, it's great to have you with us. Let's start with the most obvious area of identity security, passwords. So is having a strong password in this day and age enough? Enough is the the key word, right? We've had many discussions with many different customers and articles and media outlets about what makes a strong password. And we've had that for years. You think back at legacy television programs or even modern television programs, and you see, you know, the cops cracking into a system and they, they're guessing somebody's birthday and boom, they're in. Well, well, that I hope that just doesn't work that way, but it sure adds to the storyline. It's kind of a, a good question to ask from a strong password. And I think from a hygiene perspective, People have generally gotten better with passwords, at least in corporate enterprises where they're trained and their passwords are required to be a certain length and a certain complexity. As I have this conversation, in fact, I was speaking with a a former colleague of mine last week about uh, some other topics and the concept of passwords came up and he was giving me his outstanding strategy of how he thinks his passwords are better than everybody else's because you know, he's got a complex password that he uses for all of his, maybe his banking and then something else he uses for things that don't really matter to him, like social media. And I sort of let him in on the concept that all of that really matters. Strong passwords are great. Given a strong password, the best thing you can do with that is never reuse one. In my my typical password advice is, you know, develop strong passwords of eight or greater characters than uh, never reuse a password. So I, I realized that saying have a strong password and never reuse them in 50, 60, 100 different systems is a very complex task, if not impossible to do. So yes, strong passwords can be good, but not good enough. In corporate environments, whenever we have the password conversation, I try to turn it more towards an authentication conversation. And you want to think that is a password strong enough for authentication where um, you should be doing something like multi-factor. I think back to you know working with my father and getting him access to things like online shopping and given an option for multi-factor. You know he was a obviously a much older man and uh, he had no problem dealing with multi-factor. So that led me to believe that the general population is accepting of things like multi-factor and even appreciative of it. I think that our corporate employees can accept both things like strong passwords, which we've been um, drilling into them for the last you know, X number of years, add a layer to that of multi-factor authentication, where um, they actually not only can consider it useful, but consider it necessary to protect not just corporate resources, but you know whether you're protecting your, per- your personal healthcare information or your banking information with multi-factor. Given the option, embrace the multi-factor. I've even seen customers that um, wouldn't 
access a website or a system that they considered to contain maybe their own critical information if it wasn't protected with multi-factor authentication, which is a, a, a great method to do that. And I, I would even say, you know, to companies out there that haven't implemented multi-factor, and I know there's many of them, and, you know, whether you've implemented it for all, some, or, you know, none of your employees, definitely look at implementing the same thing for everybody so that you can have a standard. But, you know, why aren't you doing it? I've asked this question, is it too cumbersome? Do you think it doesn't matter? Is it too hard to deploy? Because much of those technologies, much of the modern technology around multi-factor has made it very easy. So relying on that strong password, you know, you can definitely come up with that strong password and, and require them, you know, words, phrases, numbers, special characters. But at the same time, um, you can really kind of take a lot of the stress of how strong are your passwords away if you simply invoke multi-factor. I would even layer that concept in and say that if you're not doing this, it's like laying money on the dashboard of your car and leaving it unlocked. You know, if somebody takes the money, whose fault was that? You know, it's it's very simple to do and very easy to protect. Yeah, I, I think going back to what you said about having one password and never reusing it, I, I'll hold my hands up here for years. That is exactly what I did, you know, and it was only really at the point where I think I, I, I received an email or some kind of notification to tell me that I, I can't remember which particular account or where it was for, but I was told that my details had been, um, you know, part of a breach. And I suddenly realized at that point, that's the same password I use for X, Y, Z, A, B, C, as well as this. So it was a big wake-up call for me. There was a breach several years ago called the RockU breach. And this RockU was the new GWiz application that gave you access to many other applications. The way it worked was you entered this application and then you gave it credentials to all these other applications. Sounds a little scary today now that we sort of know how things work. But um, what happened was that system was breached and somebody took the user accounts and, and password database. And it turns out none of it was encrypted. Well, I, I got requests for a comment a few years back on something like um, maybe it was an Instagram breach or somebody got some usernames and passwords from Instagram. And I thought to myself, why do I care? I don't use Instagram. I, you know, it's not really part of my life right now. Then I got to thinking about it and, you know, talking to honestly my brother-in-law who uses the same passwords for things. And, you know, what happened with this Rocky breach was they realized that, you know, you have all these email addresses, which are usernames on a lot of systems, and then you have passwords and then people reuse these passwords. So theoretically, you know, if you have a bank account and you know what bank that person uses, you can probably go take a username and password and get into that person's bank account. Again, that's where multi-factor steps in and saves the day, where somebody just tried your password. Do you want to let them in? You, you just say no. Yeah, I, I suppose it's that thing where with the bank accounts, people, I think people do take those a bit more seriously. They are a bit more secure in, in terms of they go, well, that's my money and therefore there's there's no way. So when you've got things like card readers and uh, the, the multi-factor authentication to, to get through into just looking at your bank statements, people don't seem to have as much of an issue doing that as they do for doing it with accessing a work system, for example. And it's getting around that kind of mentality, I suppose, that is part of the problem with most people that, that are basically just trying to get on with their day and do their job. 
Right, the convenience side of it. I've I've seen that mentality, and I I'm, I'm hoping that is shifting. I see that shifting in my own company. You know, we're an IT security company, so I see that shifting in the world where even the regular user that has no special permissions in the system realizes the value of their own credentials, whether it's you know simply access to their own mailbox or the s- systems they have. Or it's sort of like uh, if your corporate credentials are compromised, it's sort of like propping the front door to the building open and just letting people in. Yeah. Hey, just come in, take our stuff. Why not? Exactly. Uh, You mentioned there that obviously there are higher levels of uh, identities of accounts. So administration accounts, for example, much higher privileges available to the people that actually use those. So what's your advice when it comes to admin accounts? So looking back at my years and years of history, I've spent a significant part of my part of my career as a system administrator with um, basically the keys to my kingdom in my back pocket. It was a good feeling. It you know supported my ego very well, knowing that I had access to everything and could touch anything and alter anything as I saw fit. Those days of the administrators ruling the world are quickly fading away as people transition in and out of roles in the company or come and go within the companies, the model that we had back in the nineties, two thousands, when I was a system administrator, it was very difficult when somebody left the organization or changed roles because you had to aggressively go after every password and every account that they had permissions to and cycle passwords. And you probably didn't get them all. Um, for the most part, we know that doesn't happen. We've seen breaches where, employees were able to hack back into their previous company with a privileged account and do you know something malicious. So that was a very dangerous way to live. We just sort of accepted it. And the level of trust was actually on the person and not the system. Stepping in and saying that you're going to take my privileged credentials away from me, um, there was a you know definitely a psychological effect on that. And we've seen that, you know, when we talk to system administrators that have these privileged accounts, we talk to them about this type of a solution to manage those credentials. They're not really a big fan of it because they've lived through that trust. You know, they've they've built their models on that trust and, you know, they know where everything is and they know how to get to it very easily. Part of every breach, though, is really privileged escalation. So if you compromise my credentials at one identity, I'm not an administrator. I don't have any permissions at one identity. It's not of any value. The real value is getting to the permission that has the ability to touch everything. And that's where we're looking at these privileged credentials and how to manage those. You know, you look at the major breaches. There was a couple of major active directory breaches. Uh, you look at Saudi Aramco, ransomware breaches, for instance, Colonial Pipeline. The reason these are so effective is because of privilege escalation in Active Directory, where all of these systems, servers, workstations, everything is joined to Active Directory, which means you can use the SSO functionality of Active Directory and a privileged account to own everything, which means deploying ransomware to every system and then you've, you pretty much own the company. That's why they're so successful. So getting control of these privileged credentials are a big step in securing both Active Directory and other systems. You know, when you compromise the whole thing, an attacker can get the whole enterprise by compromising one privileged account. And then it's very effective because the enterprises will pay off more than, you know, your Aunt Betty sitting at her laptop that gets encrypted sitting at home. You know, that's, you send us $500, we'll decrypt it. Whereas you, you compromise an entire enterprise, it's, you know, $10 million to decrypt it. So much more effective. 
And then, you know, you look at those privileged accounts and, and who has access to them. I remember yelling across the room, asking passwords to things, and we would make hand signals in the air. We had our own code where we could communicate passwords without saying anything. So, yeah, we thought we were pretty clever. But, uh, you know, all of that's tied back to, um, you know, things like service accounts and shared accounts that people have. Um, every system's got a root or an admin account on it. And all of these were just rampant throughout the enterprise. And most of them were a, a common password or um, something that was shared amongst everybody. It was really just a bad way to do things. So today is a lot different. There's privileged account management systems. One identity offers them. Um, other companies offer them as well. But the concept now would be as me as my administrator, I don't have this keys to the kingdom in my back pocket anymore. So my ego is a little bit bruised, but at the same time, what I have is a right to check one out. And from the psychological side of that, we need to address that it's there to protect the admin. So if something happens with that account when I don't have it, it's not my fault. You know, it's obviously something else. So in this scenario, I would connect to this vault and I would check out a credential like a library book and use it when I need it. When I'm not using it, I check it back in. When I've checked it back in, the account is immediately has the password changed. So when it's not in use, no human knows the password to this system or to, to the systems that I have the password or the credential for. So the accounts are all vaulted and they're there for use if you need them. The passwords are constantly cycled. So if you were trying to do something like a password spraying attack against them, the passwords are a moving target as well. So it really makes it extremely difficult to compromise based on random or random guessing and things like that. And then the credentials can be highly complex and even nonsensical. We have customers that like to use 99 character passwords for service accounts. If you ever had to type one of those in, it's not a lot of fun, but thanks to things like clipboards and that sort of thing, you don't have to type them in. It makes them almost, even if someone should shoulder surf you, there's no way that they're going to memorize that password and be able to use it for anything. And that step alone would have prevented most of the breaches that we've seen since about 2012, I'm thinking back to the target breach in the U.S., things like the OPM breach would have been prevented by privilege access management, that sort of thing. Wow, that's that's such a big thing. Considering that's 10 years ago now, all of those breaches could have just been prevented by this one way of, uh, you know, securing your your passwords and, and going that. I, lo- I love the fact that you're you're so right about the bruised ego situation. I mean, it is exactly that. You know, people have gone through that phase for many many years now, where they were kind of like, "Oh, I'm a team leader or whatever it might be, and therefore I have more access than the people that are underneath me." And look at me, kind of role. And now they don't have that, but they still have it. Like what you're saying is that they they still have the right to go and get it if and when they need it, but only also for the one thing that they might need. So they won't have, as you said, the keys to the entire castle. It will be to one wing, maybe. Right. And when they do use them, you know, things are audited. So you can, you know that they have it out and you can even put an approval behind it. So I always think of, you know, Bill, my security guy had to approve because, you know, we sort of, you know, the last production environment I worked in, we sort of had a password management system and it was the security team and if i needed one of these shared accounts that was the first thing they did was get rid of the shared accounts so if i needed the password to one of those shared accounts i could go see the security guy and i could get it and he was sort of our password vault which really you know a human still knows the password it's just not me 
I, I've even seen the concept of if we have a team of 10 system administrators that all had privileged credentials, then the manager of that team that had no business logging onto any systems also had privileged credentials. And that was wrong. I mean, they had no use for that. They really didn't have the, um, the skills to really know what was going on with those systems. They were typically just management, but they had credentials as well that could be exploited when compromised. And that's just a dangerous way to operate. Yeah, it's a bit like how, take an office situation, that the manager's there to manage the people. They're not necessarily there to do the job that their staff are doing for the company. They're there just to make sure that the staff are doing their job correctly. So they don't really need the access to go in and do the job that the staff are doing at that time. I, I think that actually is it goes back to that ego thing again doesn't it it is all back to that kind of thing um obviously security is the number one thought here in what we're talking about but i know for a fact that there are going to be people sat there going yes okay it's good but efficiency has also got to be up there at the top for us so there's got to be ways to automatically authenticate users after they've initially logged in but what are your thoughts on this? Because so I sort of look at this in terms of when I fire up my uh, my my MacBook and I use Keychain Access on there. That's got all my passwords. There. I still only need to fire up my MacBook once, really, and put the password in for Keychain Access once. And in that session, I can access whichever password I need at any time. Right, right. And I personally use a password manager. I mean, we think back to Active Directory. Active Directory was really uh, an SSO solution. And when I say SSO, I mean single sign-on. Now we've translated that a little bit to be same sign-on in a lot of cases where we can use the same credential. But we used to say, uh, it was the phrase, it was usability, functionality, and security. Pick any two. You know, if you can have it very usable and very secure, it's not going to be very functional. You know, it just kind of likewise with the other two. But I think technology is really advanced to the point where we can choose all three. So you can say usability, functionality, security, because I can include things like easy to use multi-factor authentication to literally any system out there, whether that's your desktop or a cloud-based application. Um, Put your multi-factor in the line of your security policy and apply that to your users. And the users will, you know, you will really be surprised at how quickly they will adapt and possibly even appreciate the multi-factor authentication um, that goes along with that so that you know, their credentials are protected. And if anything was to happen to corporate data, it's definitely not because of them. We've really set things up so that, that it can be very easy to use. And, you know, we look at that from a, from a vendor perspective when we deploy some sort of new technology that we want it to be easy to deploy and easy to use. Because if it's not easy, they're either going to find a way around it or they're just flat out not going to use it. I think I said this before, where users are actually expecting stronger security. This is a every set opportunity I get to talk about this, I say it, and I'm sort of hoping that it's true, that the users I'm speaking to are expecting stronger security, and that the security education that the corporate users are receiving, that they understand why the credentials need to be protected, and why there's a multi-factor prompt occasionally that they didn't see before. You know, we're operating differently using cloud-based applications. We're using federation. Um, our goal is to make things so easy to use that it, that if someone's really security-minded, they're baffled at how well it used it, how well they were able to use it, and how secure it actually was. I sort of compare that to the, you know, the non-corporate user. 
someone who doesn't get security training at work. And I, you know, I don't have a lot of the exposure to people of that genre. So I don't know. I, I hope that they are understanding the security implications of their personal life and, you know, the complex passwords of multi-factor authentication and everything that was with that. And I hope that the training and the, you know, infosec or security training that people are getting at work is translating into the worldwide user so that that that's better practices are expected and they're doing better things when they get home. So, yeah, I, I think that when it, when it comes to the fact that we are getting more used to doing more in order to actually access things, that, that, that is a good thing. And that is going to only get better. I, I would presume we, we kind of, as the generations go through, uh, you know, their working life, essentially, we're going to get to the point where people don't remember, you know, the time when they just had uh, password one, two, three, and they could access whatever they needed to. <laughs> well, and then every 60 days, you have to add an exclamation point to that. Don't forget. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we always cringe at that 60 days point where I have to change one character of my password, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those, wasn't it? You just every time and you just go, oh, for goodness sake, really, has it been that long already? And you add that one extra thing to it or the, the the pain the pain was real back then but again it comes back to that thing of just not really understanding it and I suppose in a way also not really caring and I know that sounds quite bad but essentially you were just wanting to get on with your job and 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 so having to change your password or having to do you know multi-factor authentication it was just another barrier and it was just another thing that had to go in there. I mean, as technology progresses, it's obviously getting easier. I think the first time when I was in an office-based job and uh, we had multi-factor authentication put in, it was a, a key fob that you actually had that would then generate you a six-digit code. And you had to go to the office, get the key key fob out of the the safe and then you had to go and do uh, this other ridiculous sign-on process it sometimes took you 20 minutes to get onto the computer for a job that was going to take you two minutes you know in many situations that's probably not going to work you know you think about healthcare or you know critical care where a patient's receiving critical care and someone needs to authenticate to a system to get to a patient record you don't want to make that a 20 minute sign on process so there's ways we can get around or not get around but actually um, give them a very secure logon experience today through things like push technology um, and you know everybody's carrying a smartphone why not use it for that and then there's even some you know futuristic research around how the smartphone can actually know if it's in your pocket as opposed to somebody else's pocket and you can validate that the person that's authenticating is who they say they are based on you know many different biometric features plus a, a low energy bluetooth you know sort of like swiping into a hotel room or something like that so there's there's new things coming down the pipe in the future you know some of that is very futuristic but it's not really that far off in the future and it's come a long way already i mean for me i i get the push notifications all the time and i'm very happy with that in fact I've received push notifications in the middle of the night when I'm not trying to authenticate. And it gives me a good feeling where I can wake up and just hit the deny button or just ignore it. And whoever's trying to get into my, my account is not able to do that. So even though I have a very complex password, I still get a push notification occasionally. So it's interesting that that does happen. Yeah. You also mentioned earlier on about monitoring accounts and how they're, they're audited, essentially. So every time that you take out the credentials to go and use a system, then therefore somewhere in the background, 
something is registering the fact that that's done and storing that again securely so that people can then go and have a look and and check and like you said actually the way that i would maybe look at it is to sort of go well once i've given it back in i've signed it back in and therefore now anything that happens after that it's not my responsibility anymore but it's good from the other perspective which is the business or the organization's perspective of they can see right when did this get signed out? Who took that credential out? What were they doing while they had it? And did anything go wrong in that time? That is all a fantastic process that is obviously the next step, isn't it? Well, you can get up. We can even go beyond that today. And then it, we're talking specifically around privileged users because the standard user, you know, we don't necessarily need to audit every action they do. But if you got a privileged account where somebody could literally take down or fix a system, um, we can take that password out of their hand and simply give them access to the system. So instead of me requesting a password, I could request a session. So if I needed to get onto a server and fix something during a maintenance window or during an outage, I could request a session and simply be granted that. And now keep in mind, I'm accessing this credential vault with multi-factor authentication. That's got to be a given. If I'm not doing that, if I'm using a username and password to get into a credential vault, that's just a terrible idea. So you get into the vault, you check out a session, then I can launch that session out to the end system I need to repair or update or whatever I'm going to do. And in that session, I'm actually recording it and watching for anomalies. So if an admin were to log on to a session and hand a keyboard to somebody else, we're going to know about it because we're watching the key patterns, we're watching the mouse movements, we're watching the, the time, the day, the IP address, the systems they're accessing, the commands they're running, all of that sort of thing builds a profile around a user. So we know when it's not you, but that really does add that incredible layer of protection on top of that privileged user. And it's not just about the fact that it's being done, it's also a preventative measure in the fact that people are aware that that's happening so that they know that if I gave it to somebody else, then actually they might be able to tell because, you know, the way that I type on a keyboard will be different to how you do, Dan, and, 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 and things like that. It's an incredible, powerful tool. Right. And that's, that saves a lot of, you know, if you look back at the, you know, the breaches through the years, you know, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, but the simple implementation of privileged credential management would have prevented most of those breaches. And I, you know, you could say all of them, but I don't, you know, there's details. Anytime there's privilege escalation tied to something, it's going to be preventable with uh, privilege access management. Absolutely. And I, and I know you want to make the point that these best practices, that they're, they're just laying some strong foundations for implementing a zero trust security model. They're not going to result in zero trust being fully implemented. So what are the next steps for people to take? Well, the direction of zero trust. So zero trust is a, we'll call it a journey or a direction, not a destination. So start considering things around zero trust concepts like um, when you reach out and say you acquire a new information system that does something in your environment, consider things like how does it authenticate? How does it work internally? How does the, the service talk to the application, talk to the database? How is the authentication done? Make sure none of those points are actually exploitable through you know, identity compromise or through compromised credentials. And then look back at your legacy systems and see if there's any way that you can overlay zero trust concepts onto them. You know, honestly, when I started looking at zero trust as a whole, the core concepts that were you know, really pre-NIST, you know, before NIST defined them, were sort of anti-active directory. Um, because, you know, Active Directory is really 
it's based on trust. It's built into the terminology. So zero trust in Active Directory, you know, we've looked at ways that we overlay things into that. We look at ways to um, provide privileged access to Active Directory and make that temporary, make it dynamic, make it flexible so that it meets the needs of modern zero trust concepts. So looking back at those legacy systems and overlaying zero trust concepts onto them where you can um, is a great step forward as well. I think it's great that you're talking about it being a journey rather than, a, as you say, a destination, because it's not just security that's moving on at all, all times. It's also, you know, the bad actors. They're always going to be looking to go one step ahead. And it's about making sure that you keep as secure as possible at all times. So there's no point really, is there, in saying, right, when we do this, that'll be it. I mean, we've, we've done that in the past and we've sort of said, well, look, you know, we used to say having a strong password was what you needed, but now it's moved on to this and there's a lot more process to go through to keep everything as secure as possible. And, and the way people are working in the modern world today, working from anywhere all over the place, a firewall does not provide, you know, a corporate firewall doesn't protect really anybody because almost nobody's working inside that corporate firewall. So um, providing the ability to protect both standard and privileged identities, roaming the world, sitting in a coffee shop connected to a Wi-Fi hotspot is really what we're targeting here and, and trying to provide stronger security for those. Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. Those are some really good suggestions that will help people to begin implementing a zero trust security model. Use multi-factor authentication. Don't trust admin accounts implicitly. Require users to authenticate themselves every time they require access to a critical resource. And of course, then monitor all access to sensitive data as well. Thanks again to Dan Conrad for joining me. You've been listening to Better Together, a podcast series brought to you by Microsoft and One Identity. In the next episode, I'll be looking at how you can protect your Active Directory from some of the most common exploits. Join me then.